Are you feeling out of your depth attempting to parent your child's online world? Parenting in Cyberspace is brought to you by Parentline and the Queensland Government. This season talks about supporting young people's online well-being and experiences with cyberbullying. If it doesn't make you happy or if you get online and suddenly it makes you sad, turn it off and go and find a mission for the day. Today, for the first episode of the Parenting in Cyberspace podcast, I'm so incredibly excited to be joined by Australian artist Vanessa Amorotti. Vanessa has had enormous success across her career, including six commercially and critically acclaimed albums and 16 ARIA and APRA nominations. She has also worked with Kids Helpline for a number of years and been a powerful voice in standing up against bullying and cyberbullying. Vanessa, thank you so much for joining me today. I wanted to start today by asking you about why you feel so passionate about talking about this topic. I know that it's something that you've campaigned with Kids Helpline about before, and I'm curious as to where that passion comes from. I think it comes from my experience with it. And then also navigating those waters with friends of mine that are in the industry. And now having a child who's very tech sassy, how I would navigate that whole world. And it seems to be such a big deal now among kids. It's it's like life. The phone is like life. And online presence is like being in front of somebody, which is always hard for me to understand because when I first started technology wasn't the way it is now so I think it's forever evolving and you're forever learning and whatever I can do to help people that are in that kind of toxic online environment to get through that and to face another day with online challenges. I think what you've said there about that distinction between the on and offline world perhaps getting a little bit blurred for younger people is absolutely so true Are those things that you try to maintain, like that real separation between your on and offline world? Oh, absolutely. I have to constantly remind myself that what I'm seeing online is not real. Because if I wake up early in the morning and turn to Instagram and start flicking through what people's lives appear to be, it puts me in a really terrible mind frame. And then I feel like I'm not doing enough or this person's just living such an incredible life. Why haven't I got to that? You know, like it it constantly keeps you comparing and feeling like you're missing out. And um, for me, the biggest challenge is trying to explain that to other people, that it's just not real. It's really not real. They're not posting what's happening behind the scenes or especially when it comes to what it is that I do. I'm very close friends with a lot of singers And I see the best glimpse of their life. Mm. And then I speak to them in person and it's the complete opposite to that. And there's a real challenge that goes in the undertow of that. And we keep it pretty and we keep it desirable. So everybody's like, yes, I'd love to enter the music industry Mm. thinking that it's this very glamorous life. But there's a lot of hustle in it and a lot of heartbreak and a lot of, I don't know, grit in between of that. And we just, we don't show Mm. it. Yeah, there's so much more that goes into the day-to-day than just what people see from people's social media. And I think that for young people especially, that's a really important 
reminder, and I think even for parents and carers, that things that we're seeing online are not necessarily a true reflection of what is going on in any person's life. It's really just that highlights real. I think that there can always be the opportunity when we're posting things online to be opening ourselves up to criticism or trolling or negative comments and that can be quite hard. How do you navigate that world on your socials when you're posting photos or videos? I keep it positive. So if anyone was to write something quite negative and nasty, Mm. I will never answer them. Mm. I will Mm. never have the time to put energy into that. Mm. Because if I've got the energy to channel something that's very negative, then I should have the energy to reach out and reply to everybody that's being positive. I'm not going to ignore 50 comments that are all positive and not answer those 50 because I just got tied up getting into something quite petty Mm. with one negative comment. So Mm. I just refuse to do it. Mm. And I've got another rule, which is not how... Other people run their socials, I'm sure. We all do it differently. Mm. But if that person just keeps repeating themselves and writing negative stuff on my socials, I block them. (laughs) I don't want to look at it. I don't want to fall into that rabbit hole of being upset about your opinion on hating me. You can go somewhere else and hate me, but not on my page. So that's kind of how I confront it. But it's taken me many years to get to that point because I used to pour a lot of energy into trying to please people that Mm. will always hate you anyway. I think that those are some really interesting points, especially that thing of we all do it differently. I think that everyone's going to have strategy that works for them and it's about finding that strategy. I think for young people, it can be a bit scary blocking someone, especially if that person is someone that they go to school with or someone that they see regularly. But I think it's a really important thing to remember is that's okay. It's just like walking away from someone who's being nasty to you in the playground or in a face-to-face kind of scenario. It's just saying, hey, I'm not going to stand here and listen to this. I'm going to walk away. And it sounds like it's a really great strategy that works for you. Is that something that you do if someone's posting something? Is it the first time that that happens or do you sort of leave them a little bit of room to I guess, make a mistake or perhaps for a message to be misinterpreted? Oh, absolutely. I'll leave it for quite some time just in Mm -hmm. case I'm reading into it incorrectly. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I'll let it go for a while. Mm. But then when I just feel like it's just looking for a response, it's looking for some type of attention. Mm. And, you know, the other thing that I also find is that I have incredible people that follow me that are also very protective of me. Mm. And so they engage standing up for me. Yeah. And then they get attacked. And then I've actually experienced this and it was, it, it was so terrible actually. I felt really, really bad. I had posted something and I was talking about a song that I had written and what my experience was and did they have a similar experience that left them a certain, feeling a certain way. And I had a couple of people reach out and um, really go into depth about some really heavy things that had happened in their life. And then I had some trolls ridiculing them on what had happened to them that was traumatizing. And it was all because at that point they were also trying to stand up for me. It just got so out of control that I just took the post down Mm. and blocked that person because the last thing I want is for someone to open their soul 
and get to a point where they're sharing something so personal and then someone else come in and just make them a joke. And that was all through something that I'd posted. So I just ripped it down. Like nobody deserves to be humiliated like that. And it's not a joke. If someone's expressing themselves about something that's happened that's been traumatic, that is not a joke on any means. Yeah. As far as somebody saying something negative to me, I don't want the people that follow me to engage in that because Mm. then it gets taken to another level where just say they now get tracked down to their Facebook account. Mm. And their Facebook account says where they work, where they live, the area they live in, who their friends are. Now you've got this person that's now writing a bad review on you at your job just to be, I want to swear right now, but just to be a jerk and, <laughs> and actually step into another world, yeah, where they're destroying their actual real life. So. Yeah. That's another reason why I just get rid of it. I take it off. I don't want other people's life to be affected that way. Oh, definitely. And I think that that is a really important thing to remember when we are posting things online. And I think it's important to remember that when we're posting things online, we kind of are sharing a little bit of ourselves with however many people might be looking. And it can be really difficult when those things are being torn down or ridiculed. It sounds like in that situation that you were talking about, blocking the person was absolutely sort of removing them from the ability to do that again in the future. But I really like what you said about giving people the space for messages to be misinterpreted or for people to make mistakes because we don't have that body language feedback and we don't have the tone that the person is using. It can be a little bit easier to misunderstand what they're saying. So giving people the space to sort of have that potential for a message to be misinterpreted is is really great rather than putting our own assumptions onto things that people are sending us. No, I completely agree with that because there's many times even in a text message where you don't know what the tone is of the message. So you could read it in a happy voice and it sounds wonderful and then read it in a nasty voice and it sounds awful. So I totally get that and I'm very cautious of that kind of stuff too. Yeah, absolutely. I think even with our sort of closest friends and family, that is one that happens when you're posting to people. Do you think about the messages that you're sending a lot more than the ones that you're sending, say, your friends and family because you're trying to strike that tone? I definitely think a lot harder when it comes to responding online and that's just the truth about it. Like if Mm -hmm. I'm messaging close friends and family, like normally it's an audio message because iPhones let you do it audio anyway. (laughs) And if it's the texting that kind of gets read out of context, you know, they'll be on the phone in five seconds, like what are you going on about? But with socials you can't, that dialogue's not so easy to get. So Mm -hmm. I definitely uh, spend a lot of time rethinking, okay, how am I writing this? How is this coming across? And I think emojis have been such a godsend because that also helps with how you're saying it. So I tend to use a lot of emojis. Yes, I love that. I would actually be really curious to know what your uh, top five emojis are if you had your phone, Andy, but um, (laughs) maybe we'll leave that to the end. (laughs) When you're going about your day maintaining your own online well-being, do you have any sort of boundaries or strategies that you have in place other than the ones that we've already spoken about today that you use to really maintain that positive approach to your own 
social media and that ability to put in positive energy to your social media? Yeah, I mean, I love actually having socials, like not having them before was way harder to connect with people Mm -hmm. and to create that bond and to feel the support. So I love the fact that I feel that support now. I'm actually on a journey with the people I've grown up with, which is another lovely experience is watching them post stuff about having kids now and things like that. So I love the fact that it gives me direct communication with the people that really matter Mm. when it comes to me being supported, making music. Mm. But I do just create boundaries with that because it's a world in its own Mm. and I don't want to be distracted from being present with the people that are around me because I'm so absorbed on my phone. So I try to make rules where if I'm out with people that I put my phone away Mm -hmm. and that I'm making eye contact and being present. I try to also do that with my, my son as well, where I'm not constantly on my phone and blowing him, like just pushing him aside so I can get stuff done. I try and create times to do that. Mm. And then another thing is when I wake up, I wake up really, really early because I still have a lot of animals out here in Los Angeles as well as doing music all the time. I also have a ton of animals. So I wake up super early and I try to avoid jumping straight on the socials because I know a lot of people that will literally wake up, turn their phone and start going through socials and checking messages and checking emails and, and blah, 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 blah. So I've kind of made a rule where I don't roll over and do that because once I start engaging on checking my emails and messages and responding, I mean, that's like two, three hours of work and I've already lost the morning yeah. on, you know, just doing things that give me a healthy mindset. Yeah. I mean, there will also come times where I'm on the road and I won't have any other option but to wake up and get to work. But why I can, I try to create these kind of boundaries. That's fantastic. So really setting yourself up for that day, taking in what your day is going to look like before jumping on your phone and having that separation between your own time and work time in the morning sets you up for a really great day. And I think that's a really great thing that people can use is having that time of the day where they go, okay, I'm not going to go on my phone or I'm not going to go on social media for this, however long it might be. So for some people that might be better at the end of the day and then other people it might be, I'm going to go on a walk at lunchtime during my work day and I'm not going to look at my phone during that whole time and sort of having that time that you're carving out for yourself separate from that online world. And the other thing that I wanted to go back to is that thing that you mentioned about connecting with your audience and the people who engage with your with your art. And I think that it's a really interesting point that social media has allowed this almost intimate connection with your audience, which I feel like maybe you would have only got before from doing gigs and doing shows. Is that kind of how you feel about it? I kind of find it similar to the shows and having that connection with the audience and seeing people's faces and being present in that moment of the performance and the songs and the socials allows that to coexist when I'm producing and writing music, Mm. which normally I would just disappear off the face of the earth and there wouldn't be any of that, which I still try and keep a little bit of that going on because 
it's very boring. <laughs> I know a lot of people are like, you haven't posted in such a long time, but really there's nothing to see. It's very, very boring. Like just sitting in a studio on my own and creating songs and yeah, every day the, the same thing is happening every day. Yeah. So I try to not bore people with that, yeah, but yeah. I do love the fact that when I do start getting on socials, it gives me direct contact with such a great support network. I feel like my socials, I have such incredible people. And the moment that I go to release a song or talk about a show I'm about to do, I get tremendous love yeah. and support from that. And that just motivates me to do more. Yeah, It actually, it has me working harder than I've ever worked because I just feel like I have such a great connection and mm. such good energy coming from that where before it would just be silent and I would just think, oh, well, uh, everyone's forgotten about me. I'm, I'm done. And I would be panicking a lot. At least now I feel like if I create good things, mm. And I deliver great songs and great shows that that support's still there. I love that. I think that certainly from an outside perspective, it gives you that sense of, like you say, being at a show and getting that, I think, like up close and personal relationship with someone who is creating the art that you love. And for you, it sounds very similar. It's giving you that feedback and energy of positivity, especially when people are enjoying what you're putting out and engaging with you in such a positive way as well. I do have to admit, though, that it has taken me quite some time mm. to train myself in keeping it positive. Mm. You know, like it wasn't just something that I just achieved. One day I got on and I was just unaffected by what was being said. It's taken me a long time because I've been doing this for over 20 years to train myself to not feed into the nasty stuff because it just pours out of the phone into my life mm. and it makes everything feel like the end of the world. And so when I don't feed that kind of en that kind of energy and that kind of way of life, I feel like I'm just a lot happier. It's Things don't feel like the end of the world is what I'm saying, but it has taken a lot of training because when I was younger, one bad comment would just make me feel like I should quit. And I think that that's a really important message as well, especially for the parents and carers who might be listening, that it can feel, for especially for young people, that one bad comment or one nasty comment kind of is the sole reason that they should stop doing something that they like or not be their true selves because if they are their true selves, then people are going to make these comments and I'm wondering if there's any sort of advice that you could give to parents and carers who might be listening from your own personal experience. Like you said, over 20 years of fine-tuning these boundaries for yourself that might help them support their kids who might be experiencing cyberbullying, whether there's like a particular thing that you could say that might be helpful to them. Oof. I honestly, I, I wish I had the answers for that but because I haven't experienced it yet with my boy because he's only five yeah I really don't know how to tackle that as a parent I feel like it would hurt way more mm. it happening to me is is okay and mm. and I've created a scenario and a mindset to survive that mm. but when it comes to my son wanting to get on socials and have 
bullying happening with him, I, I absolutely have no idea how I would handle that. I would feel very hopeless. And what I'd want to do is just shut it off. Yeah. And I don't actually think that's the way to handle it because eventually your child is going to want to get back on socials because it's just that is the world that we live in. And I don't want to say no because then he's going to want it more. Mm. But I also don't want him to, I don't want it to affect his personality or what it is that he plans on doing because of someone else's opinion. Hopefully people listening to this podcast will have learned a couple of new things from you today. And thank you so much for sharing your boundaries. (laughs) I think it's so important. I hope whatever I'm saying helps. (laughs) I definitely think it will. I think the overarching thing of maintaining those boundaries and really looking closely at that online well-being and how you feel when you're online is such an important thing to remember And I think just starting that conversation with our kids as early as possible, educating them and providing that support and those boundaries as parents and carers is the best that we can do, best things that we can equip them with are the tools to deal with those situations and the knowledge that they will be supported if anything goes wrong as well. I think the most important thing It's just you've got to do things that make you happy. And if you're turning on your socials and it's not making you happy, don't turn it on. Don't turn it on for a while. There are no rules. Like nobody's nobody's saying you must be on socials now, today. You must be present. You must have something to say online. There are no rules to it. So if it doesn't make you happy or if you get online and suddenly it makes you sad, turn it off and go and find a mission for the day. Because I, just like everybody else, I have moments where I can get on socials and I see stuff and then I just get really down about myself. And so I turn around and I go, all right, well, I'm turning this off now. And what am I going to do today that's going to make me happy? That's going to make me enjoy my life because I'm not going to waste a day being upset about the fact that somebody's got something I may feel that I should be working towards or I should be more like them. Mm. And I just think putting energy into things that are positive, into people that are positive and ignoring the rest of the stuff Mm. only helps you further along with being more content and more happy with yourself and and also being okay with people not liking what you wear, what you say, how you act. I mean, nobody has to like you and, and thank goodness, you know, everybody's got a different opinion because that's where unique and different individuals get to excel. Yeah, like you say, there are no rules and it kind of is about making up your own sort of rules, which we touched on today that really work for you and finding what makes you happy and what makes you feel positive about going on socials. And if that isn't your journey today, then having that rule or boundary in place to say, okay, well, I'm not going to do this today and I'm going to go and do something else that I enjoy doing and that does make me happy. Completely. It's not the end of the world. It'll still be there in the next couple of weeks. It doesn't run anywhere. (laughs) Thank you so much for everything that you've shared today and everything that we've chatted about. I think it's been really, really enlightening and I think it will really resonate with a lot of our audience. I I hope so. I hope it helps, you know, I hope it helps somebody. (laughs) It might not be the right thing to do. Maybe not. Who knows? But it definitely works for me. I'm now 
joined by Kim Harper, who is a parenting expert and the parent line manager to discuss what we've learned today and how you can use the information when parenting your children and young people. Kim, thanks for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. I think something that is important to highlight at the end of listening to this episode with Vanessa Amorossi is this idea that she mentioned about the phone or the device now being life for young people and the importance of their online lives to their whole lives. What do you think is important for parents and carers to understand about this idea? Look, I think that parents need to take that moment to realise that there's been massive changes in socialisation technology over the last 20 years. It's exploded. How our kids interact, how they, uh, how their friendships are formed, uh, what friendships mean are very different to, you know, 20 years ago when our parents were or we were kind of making friends with our neighbours and playing out in the street. It's just a different world. So I think that when parents are thinking about their children's social world, it's really important for them to take a moment and understand how important their online world is, what it means and, and how children will interact in that space as well. And highlighting, I suppose, as well, the idea that phones and devices are, yes, absolutely a way for our children to socialise, but they're now also a device which contains so many different things for them, how to access support or accessing support services, for example, as well. So I totally agree. It's kind of completely changed in this time. It has. It's almost like an extension of their children now. I think most most parents these days, they grew up in a time when iPads, iPhones, you know, everything was being introduced and they were these tools and that's how they understood them when they were a teenager. They understood them if they even existed then, but they understood them as like a, like a, a separate tool. Now it's almost like an extension of this young person's world. Um, so it's definitely something that parents need to take into consideration when understanding the dynamics of that social world as well. If we, you know, take away a device, we're taking away access to all their friends, their social supports, how their interactions are maintained in distance, which is especially important, you know, in in this current time as well. So when parents kind of think about their children and their young people having these mobile devices, having you know, social interactions, it's important that they understand the importance of them as well. Something else that Vanessa talked about was this idea of if she were to see her own child experiencing cyberbullying or experiencing negativity online, the way that she has experienced it or the way that she's seen things that happen online, that it would be really difficult to address and she wasn't sure that she would know exactly what to do in that situation and would potentially want to just shut it down all the while knowing and understanding and being aware that that isn't always going to be the best thing for the child Mm -hmm. in that moment. What do you see as some things that parents and carers can do in this space to better understand what they can do to help support their child? Firstly, I think what Vanessa speaks about is really common. I think that a lot of parents feel the exact same way. And if we break this issue down into two separate areas, first and foremost, if we see our children in any kind of pain, 
we get scared, right? We get scared. We get upset. It doesn't matter if it's online, in person. doesn't matter if we see them struggling with romantic relationships. It doesn't matter. We're going to feel a little helpless and we're going to feel scared about knowing the best way to help them. The second part of it being this online kind of unknown world, I think it's really important that we have podcasts like we're, we're setting up and doing today. Uh, I think it's really important to take a topic that adds an extra layer of, of stress on an already stressful time, especially when we're parenting teens. We want to normalise it. We want to kind of really take that added layer away almost because, like I said earlier, the online world is our children's normal world now. So as parents, we're reacting to it and we're getting really scared about it, but it is their normal world. So we want to kind of really simplify it and make it, uh, we want to help parents understand it. We want to help parents feel less anxious about it so they can connect with their kids and that they can support them through their, their now normal world. So talking about it, explaining it, getting information, having services like ParentLine that parents can call and actually have someone to support them through it in the moment is really important. That is and always has been one of our biggest hopes, I think, for this podcast is that it really does remove that added layer of stress from a child going through cyberbullying so that parents and carers can better understand what might be going on for them and then how to support them moving forward in that situation. Exactly. Kim, thanks so much for joining me and summarising a bit more about what Vanessa talked about and we will be chatting to you in our next episode. Looking forward to it. Thank you. To find out more about anything we've discussed on today's episode, access free resources or get in touch with the show, please visit parentline.com.au and hit the cyberbullying tab. If you'd like to talk privately with a professional counsellor, please call Parentline on 1300 30 1300 or visit parentline.com.au to chat to us online. <laughs>